Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, good to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, David Schuster, TYT contributor and Rebel HQ amazing commentator. Should be a fascinating breakdown. Top story of the day, we first broke this story of Ms. Dunlap, who was physically assaulted by police in North Carolina. And this physical assault led to nothing, meaning they did not charge her with anything. As a matter of fact, a supervisor said, let her go. Now she has filed a lawsuit, here's the update. Now, remember the incident, here it is. was the property manager on a property where she was taking pictures of trash that had been placed on said property. She was told to do this by her supervisor. She was well within her parameters as an employee. The officers decided to roll up on private property without any provocation or even suspicion of criminal activity, tried to rip her out of the vehicle while she was still in her seat belt. Once again, supervisor arrives after <coughs> she is arrested, handcuffed, placed inside of a squad car. Supervisor comes and says, why did you lock her up? She committed no crime, let her go. She interviewed with us, here's part of that interview. And um, after they were trying to put me in handcuffs, uh, the one detective that you see actually on my recording, she was trying to take my phone out my hand. So we was literally, she's literally trying to wrestle me to take my phone out my hand to stop my recording. Um, they put me in handcuffs, threw me up against the, the trunk of the car. And after that, um, I started hyperventilating so bad that I started vomiting um, after, after that, that's when their sergeant uh, arrived, asked if I needed medical attention, uh, which I declined. All right, let's put up the picture of Miss Dunlap and one of the cops who assaulted her. Jelana Dunlap Banks accused the Fayetteville, North Carolina police of assaulting her on September 6, 2022. We received an exclusive to that video. A North Carolina woman is now suing. She's now suing its police department and the officers for false imprisonment 
and negligence for an incident she said left her traumatized and bruised. Jelana Dunlap Banks also accused Fayetteville police officer Ryan Haddock and detective Amanda Bell of assault and battery. Video of the encounter shows Bell forcefully gripping Dunlap Banks wrist in an effort to pull the woman from the vehicle. Here's a quote from Ms. Dunlap Banks. I really just want to speak up for people who can't speak up for themselves. <clears throat> she said at a press conference on Tuesday, October 25th. I just wanna make it clear that you have to speak up for yourself. You have to demand respect, whether they wear a badge or whether they're just in regular clothes. And if you're wearing that badge, if you're wearing a uniform, then you're supposed to protect us, not harm innocent people. I completely concur with this young lady and the sentiment expressed on September 6th, Ms. Dunlap Banks was in an empty private lot taking photos of the grounds for a property management company where she works. She paid for garbage pickup on the property and was taking pictures to show her boss. Fayetteville Police Chief Gina Hawkins, who is also named in the federal lawsuit, said the officers were pursuing a fugitive in the area and wanted to check to see if Dunlap Banks was involved, that is their cover story. She was released after the officers identified and cleared her. Attorney, civil rights attorney Harry Daniels said the officers treated Dunlap Banks aggressively because of her <coughs> skin color. The lawsuit, which was filed on Tuesday, October 25th, argues that North Carolina is not a stop and identify state. So Dunlap Banks was not required to show proof of identification and had already given officers her full name. Now, let me remind you of what that means. There are places, there are states that are stop and identify states by statute, which means there's a state law that allows the police without provocation, without suspicion and without cause. They can literally approach you and say, identify yourself. Now, even the states that have such laws, such as Alabama, those laws do not apply on private property only in public places. North Carolina has no law at all that allows the police to do what they did to this young lady. After this video went viral, she lost her job, she lost her job. So we have been helping her with the GoFundMe page. Let's put that up, just a goal of I think 5,000. If you would like to contribute to help this young lady who stood up for her rights, who did absolutely nothing wrong and was adversely impacted because of the actions of rogue cops, you can make a contribution today. Wheels of justice starting to move in the right direction. Now remember when we first covered this story, internal affairs said they were investigating after we covered it. Before that, there was absolutely no movement from IA. Yes, she filed a complaint immediately, she filed a complaint. She got nowhere until we cover the story. Now, what does this mean? This means that hopefully there will be transition and maybe even a transformation of policy in that department. David, thoughts here. And Dr. Richard, we did the story on Dr. Dunlap, on Ms. Dunlap a couple of weeks ago, right after you guys did. And I'm glad to hear that she's now filing the lawsuit because we had legal experts tell us at the time she has a very strong case for her lawsuit. And I think the evidence that this is racism and racially motivated is clear because think about it this way. If she had been a white 
property manager. Would the police have been so quickly to to grab her to demand ID or would they have taken the time to say, okay, we've got your name, we've got your license. We're gonna actually use that Google thing and check out if you are who you say you are. But instead they were in such a rush because they had their preconceived biases that because she's African American, she matches the skin color of some fugitive that they may be looking for. They're not gonna, they're not gonna wait a second. That is racism right there. Yeah, and think about the irony of their cover story. They're not saying she fit the description of a fugitive. They're just saying they wanted to do this to see if she had information about the fugitive. Well, that means they could have stopped anybody. You could randomly stop any citizen and say, you are in knowledge of or you have knowledge of a fugitive that we're searching for. It's a ridiculous cover story. It will not hold up in a court of law and they know good and damn well what they did was not policy nor protocol. That's why the supervisor said you have to let her go. We'll bring you the updates as they come. Okay, Herschel Dam Walker strikes again. Another woman claiming Herschel Walker not only took care of her abortion, but drove her to the actual abortion clinic. Now remember, the reason why this is even a news story is because Herschel Walker says if somebody, if a woman engages in her right of choice, her freedom of choice as it relates to her own body, she is committing murder. He even says that if a 10 year old is physically violated by an adult, that 10 year old must still bear that fetus to full term. That's what he says. But his actions are contrary to his own sentiment. So let's first go to the video, here it is. Herschel Walker says he is against women having abortions, but he pressured me to have one. I am coming forward now because I saw Herschel deny the allegations by another woman who claimed that he had paid for her abortion. And particularly, I saw him state that the woman's claims were not true because he never signed any cards using the letter H. I knew that was not true because he had often signed letters to me using H. I really didn't know what to do. I was confused, uncertain, and scared. After discussing the pregnancy with Herschel several times, he encouraged me to have an abortion and gave me the money to do so. I went to a clinic in Dallas, but I simply couldn't go through with it. I left the clinic in tears. When I told Herschel what had happened, he was upset and said that he was going to go back with me to the clinic the next day for me to have the abortion. He then drove me to the clinic the following day and waited for hours in the parking lot until I came out. He then drove me to get medications and supplies as prescribed and then drove me home. I was devastated because I felt that I had been pressured into having an abortion. After the abortion, I felt that Herschel began distancing himself from me. I fled Dallas within days after the abortion and did not go back to even visit for the next 15 years because I was so traumatized by what Herschel had put me through. Herschel Walker, while coercing others to exercise, their freedom of choice 
besmirches those same women in his public political proclamations today. There's more. The woman who has been identified by attorney Gloria Allred as Jane Doe during a news conference Wednesday claimed Walker had pressured her into getting an abortion after she learned she was pregnant. This was April 1993. She says she preferred to remain anonymous for fear of reprisals against herself, her family, and her livelihood. The woman said Walker, former NFL star, drove her to an abortion clinic, paid for her to have an abortion after she became pregnant as a result of the six year relationship with him in the early 90s. Walker was living with his wife at the time in Dallas, where he played for the Cowboys, okay? Now here's the, the dynamic that's interesting. He's not going to tell the truth about any of his historical conduct. It's not going to happen. Because according to his own philosophy, he engaged in murder. That's according to him, all right? Now I believe in a woman's right to choose. I think it is abuse by way of policy to deny that right, to deny that right to women and also young girls. However, Herschel Walker has a different stance. And those who support him in the GOP, are they concerned about these issues? Of course not. All right, let's go to the next video. Here it is. This is a photo of Herschel Walker in our client's hotel room. On the bed. Again, this is Minnesota. Yesterday, Walker was joined by Senator Lindsey Graham, and here's what happened. Well, I'm gonna just say right now, you know, guys, I'm done with this foolishness. I've already told people this is a lie, and I'm not gonna entertain to continue to carry a lie alone. And I also want to let you know, I didn't kill JFK either. And right now they sent him one out after he got crushed at that debate. Now the Democrats are doing say whatever they can to win this fight, win this seat. But I want them to know, they don't know Herschel Walker. They don't know that uh, I'm from Wrightsville, Georgia, and I'm gonna win this seat. I told them when I got in this race, I'm gonna win it. And they now see that I am gonna win it. So I just want you guys to know that this right here, that right now I'm winning this seat. So I, I think that Senator Warnock seems to not like me too hot, does he? But I think he voted for me. Now, according to those who support Herschel Walker and Walker himself, this is just a political ploy. These are liberals, Democrats coming against him. This is all about partisan politics. But ironically, the woman making allegation against him now is actually a member of the GOP. Here it is. I am a registered independent. And I voted for Donald Trump in both elections. I do not believe that Herschel is morally fit to be a US Senator. And that is the reason why I am speaking up and providing proof. Let me give you a brief recap of the previous allegation and remind you that leaked emails from his own campaign staff says that he is unfit. He has no capacity to become a US Senator that comes from his own team. All right, the first allegation, if you remember, 
from the mother of one of Walker's children involved a receipt from an abortion clinic and the check signed by Walker. Walker has told NBC News that he gave a $700 check to a former partner in 2009, but he denied allegations that the money was used to pay for an abortion. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump claimed, all right, this is in another update from Trump. Trump is claiming that election fraud took place and that people voted 28 times against him. All right, former President Donald Trump claimed that some people voted up to 28 times on election day in 2020 to deny him re-election. The former president, who did not say where the number came from, made the claim during an interview on Monday, podcast called Rumble. Fascinating. Let me tell you why these things connect. Do you really believe that individuals like maybe Lindsey Graham believes Trump is telling the truth? Do you think he believes Walker is telling the truth? Do you think members of the Republican Party are actually believing the lies of these men? No, they don't. They don't care about the truth. It is not a concern. They care about the spin, the narrative. They care about those who may believe it, those who will accept it, or those who will simply wink, nod, and let it pass. All of the lies are connected to one common element, power. Their true ideology, their true political party, and their true values has nothing to do with your values. It has to do with power. That is the common theme with all of these lies, power. All right, David, thoughts here. You took my words right out of my mouth. It is, it's not about truth, it's not about principles, it's about power, getting power, maintaining power. And the fact of the matter is, if Republicans were up against a Democrat, and the Democrat had several children out of wedlock, and there were claims that the Democrat had pressured women into abortions, can you imagine the uproar from the right to life crowd and how angry they would be? They would have the pitchforks, they would say, this person is unfit to be a human being. But because this is Herschel Walker, because it's a Republican, oh well, these are just lies. We can just sort of let it pass, and it doesn't really matter what matter what happened then. It only matters how he feels now. Well, that's total hypocrisy. But that is what the Republican Party stands for these days. Very well said. There's a young black male tased while naked. The family wants answers. Let's put up the picture full mass here. This was in Spartanburg, South Carolina. The family of a man who died in police custody earlier this month. They are now demanding answers. Lavelle Lane, 29 years of age, was arrested the evening of October 2nd on a charge of walking in the roadway and was taken into custody by the Spartanburg County Police, family member said, the family said also that Lane suffered from a mental illness, specifically schizophrenia. He died at the same facility the next day. Lane's father, Andy Reese, gave some more background. Here's the quote, he died and at five o'clock in the morning, and they, talking about the jail officers, made rounds around 345 and they give food out in trays. The officer noticed that he being Lane was on his knees. They say they called his name and they rushed the door open and they called the nurse, but they got no response. And the nurse called EMS and EMS came and then he was dead. The family is now trying to find out exactly what happened. 
while he was in custody. Reese says a representative from the Spartanburg County Coroner's Office told the family Lane had died and that he was also tased by deputies. They tased him and he was butt naked. Reese said of what happened to his son while in deputy's custody. While body cam video and security footage exist so far, the sheriff's office, they have decided not to release any of it to the public. The sheriff's office denies the situation. Atlanta Black Star requested, they requested more information regarding Lay's son's death. And the Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office denied their request, claiming since our office, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, and the coroner's office still have active investigations. So they're hiding behind the investigative protocol. However, this department, this agency has released video before with an investigation not being concluded. Let's put up the pictures of those in charge. We have the sheriff, his name is Chuck Wright, and the detention service division commander. This is Major Chris Laso. They are in charge, buck stops with them. Once again, an individual who goes to jail when they should have gone to a hospital. So one, you have a microcosm, which is the actual incident. And it speaks to the biases inside of that department. And then you have the macrocosm, the general approach as it relates to healthcare, mental health in the United States of America. No way this man should have gone to a jail at all. Never should have had that trip happen in the first place. There's a mental health issue, but instead of dealing with it as such, they decided to treat him as a criminal and he was not. Now he's dead and there are no answers for this family. We will continue to keep you updated as this develops. David thoughts. He was walking in the roadway, pedestrian walking in the roadway. And instead, I'm sure what happened is the police felt disrespected. They probably said, get out of the roadway. Maybe he said something and then the police, because they're disrespected, they grab him. And then there's a scuffle, then it's resisting arrest and off to jail he goes. Whereas what police should be doing, Hey, mister, you're in the roadway. Is there anything we can do to help you? Find out if there's a problem here, if it seems like he's got some mental health issues, then you help him. The police are supposed to protect and serve. You serve by helping people, not by getting angry and throwing them in the jail and then tasing them when they resist and ignoring the fact that these people may have some mental health issues. The police are the problem, not the people with schizophrenia. Very well said. We have more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Welcome back. We have a lot of show left. Let me remind everyone of our efforts in Jackson, Mississippi. We are less than $10,000 away from our goal. We are helping those who have been adversely impacted by bad policy and bad governance in Jackson, Mississippi. We wanna make sure they have clean water and they have testing kits for the water ongoing. We have a goal of 28,000, we have 19,357 already raised because of you. You can make a donation today, tyt.com forward slash relief. I thank you in advance for helping our brothers and sisters in Jackson. Mickey C, the Silverhead Dragon says, just add to the list of crimes working while black. The list gets longer and longer by the day. Yep, that's all she was doing was at work. Thank you for this, Mina the Singing Dragon. I remember there was an assault on a white female on campus and the description was a black male. 
My friend close to that description refused to leave his dorm that day. That's the day I recognized my privilege. There you go. Yep. Um, the Bard, thank you so much. Ironically, Planned Parenthood should name a clinic after Walker. Does his sperm have warp drive or something? Interesting. Thank you, Mina, for joining Indisputable. We welcome you here. All right. And Ratkin4, jails treat the people in custody as guilty, even though they haven't had a trial yet. Very true. Got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell there's an African American man threatening my life. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's more. Put up this graphic. I'm going to bring your attention to something quite interesting. Okay. You see the young black child there? You see the look on her face? She's literally trying to figure out. Y'all see this? <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, a lot of tropes, a lot of uncomfortable speech giving. By this particular Karen, I don't know whose friend she actually was, for real. I don't know, but I do know at the end of that speech, whoever that friend was, not happy. David, thoughts? I've been asked by a lot of different friends through the years, hey, I have to give a big speech at a friend's birthday or a wedding and and what should I do? And I always say to them, look, 
Just say something nice. People are not gonna remember the specifics of what you said, but they will remember the feel. They'll remember that you said something nice and they'll be happy. And that's all that matters. This is the exception, right? <laughs> this is when somebody says something so crazy, so ridiculous, so absurd that no, this is gonna mark this wedding for a long time. And I'm just surprised that nobody ran up and grabbed her and said, come on, let's go sit down and get you some aspirin and some water and we'll take care of you because um, you know she should have gotten the hook from the beginning. Yeah, and interestingly, the caption of who posted this, it read, warning, lethal secondhand embarrassment. White lady gives super cringe racist speech at her friend's wedding. I thought that was a perfect summary of what happened. All right, double dose. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're gonna feel great, that's all. I'm gonna tell African American man threatening my life. Caught a woman doing meth in the bathroom just moments before this absolute meltdown took place. Stay over there! Give me my yeah. damn! Give me my damn! Give me my damn! Give me my damn! Give me my damn! Where's my damn! Where's my damn! Give me my damn! Oh, yeah, we have it as I am not leaving until I got my damn! You can throw whatever you want. Give me my damn! They said they're coming. You goof. They said they're coming. What? You're you let it sit there for 20 minutes while you're in the My burger goose! Ma'am. You let it sit No! What do you mean no? Because you let it sit there for 20 minutes. That's not our fault. That's not our fault you let it sit You are Just because something may not go your way, it does not mean you should act in a way that's criminal against those in our food service industry. Now, according to the narrative here, there's a background, there was a preoccupation, so to speak. Well, okay, it happens. But when the food is cold, engaging in criminal conduct is not going to make it warm again. I don't understand the goal of Karens that decide to act in such a manner. It does not achieve anything positive. All right, David, thoughts on this? I was getting really nervous for the um, for the food service preparer when I saw Karen grab that ketchup bottle because I thought, oh no, here it comes. She's going to squeeze and it's going to be a big mess. Um, the guy handled it well. He tried to stay calm. He called the police. He did everything he could. But this is just goes to show there are a lot of crazy people out there who are in need of all sorts of different kinds of help. And maybe the only thing we can do is say to these people, look, before you go into a restaurant and obsess over a meal, just make sure you have your wits about you. Make sure you're not intoxicated because if you are under the influence of something, you're going to make for a very bad day for a lot of other people. Yeah, let's put up that graphic because no one should be mad at Dairy Queens. Please understand, if you are inside of a Dairy Queen, you're already winning. All right, should be a happy moment for you. Okay, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Don't forget, right after indisputable is Nina Turner. Unbossed with Nina Turner, 4 p.m. Eastern time, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Make sure you subscribe at youtube.com forward slash unbossed. T-Y-T, an amazing program. 
Let me read a few comments. Travis Dragon says, who gave this woman the mic? I think she may have done some pre-drinking before the wedding. Alcohol doesn't make the racist come out, but it does make the idiot come out. Lynn says, mm, people usually aren't hungry when doing meth, thirsty perhaps. <laughs> All right, Captain ACAB, thank you for that. That Karen wasn't even a food friend, a good friend to herself based on her consumption. All right, and let's go to Nerdopithecus. I'm shocked she didn't stop to ask if she could touch somebody's hair. <laughs> shocked too, actually. She probably did. All right. Racism inside of a school system, something is now recirculating among the students and is cause for alarm. Let me show you the video, here it is. The count of three, say one, two, three. Put up the picture full mass, we have decided to blur out the faces of those minors. This actually happened a few years ago. In Torrance, California, but the video has now resurfaced. It shows seven giggling teenagers shouting the N word, and it is causing bullying inside of a school. South High School Junior Jayla Lewis said to CBS LA, It really hurt me first seeing that it was an African American leading them on to say it, which makes everybody think that it's okay. And this is an issue that we have come across a few times now, where they will find one black student to somewhat co-sign on racist immature behavior and feel empowered as a white student body to engage in this kind of racist language publicly, okay? Lewis said a black classmate received the video along with hateful messages saying, you don't fit in with the rest of us and go back to Africa as well as other things as you can see. This display of racism reminded Lewis of an incident from the eighth grade. She said, and I quote, I experienced two boys telling me to go back to Africa and pick cotton. With my ancestors, said Lewis. Lewis said the boys were not reprimanded and are doubtful the girls in the video will be either. Many of them are now seniors at South High with leadership positions in the associated student body and sports, according to Lewis. Okay. Uh, let's put up a picture of the school. Less than 3% of the student body at South High identifies black. Many say now they don't feel safe going to the school. There's barely an African American staff member, according to the young Miss Lewis. She said, it's not really anybody I can go to for personal cultural problems. See, that's it. This is the reason we advocate for diversity inside of school systems and other places, because that matters. The fact that she doesn't have anyone she can talk to who has some level of cultural understanding of the experience will always alienate her from actual appropriate response from members of that faculty. There's more, the Torrance Unified School District put out a statement regarding the incident. It says, and I quote, I can assure 
our schools, our community, that if ever students have conflicts with one another while at school or a school event, we will work with them and their families to offer the support and supervision necessary to help them address their conflict respectfully and productively. You know what's fascinating? They didn't say we don't tolerate racism here. They did not say that has no place in our school system. They did not say this is a form of bullying and we do not allow bullying here. No, they said we wanna you know, figure out how to talk to everybody and bring the parents in and let's put up the principal, okay? Jim Evans and also the superintendent, Dr. Tim Stowe, buck stops with them. All right, David, thoughts on this? School leadership is clearly failing on their most important thing to pass along to the students and to the staff, and that is respect. You yeah. respect yourself, you respect the fellow students and staff, you respect your community, you respect the environment. If the students had that on the front end, I guarantee there might have been at least one or two students in that group of girls who would have said, you know what, this is this is not about respect. We're doing something we should not be doing. Let's treat ourselves better than get involved in something that's ridiculous. But instead, I think there's some sort of, there's a tone that is set by people at the school. There's a permissiveness for hatred, for bigotry that exists, even if it's subtly. But it doesn't come out so subtly with teenage, particularly <clears throat> teenage girls and boys. And I think that's what we saw here. Yeah, I agree. All right, this is one of the most ironic stories I've ever reported on. Imagine an attorney <laughs> is defending a gentleman's club, a strip club. Defending a strip club because a patron died at the strip club. And while he's preparing for trial to defend the gentleman's club because a patron died, he dies at the same gentleman's club that he's going to trial to defend. Put up the picture. Wow. This happened in Glendale, Colorado. A lawyer defending a gentleman's club involved in the wrongful death of a customer died at the same place one month before trial started. His name is George Stephen Long, 70 years of age, was a seasoned attorney representing Shotgun Willies, name of the strip club, in the wrongful death trial of patron Randall Wright. This happened back in May. Long arrived at the club around 8.30 PM, drank and played cards with a female entertainer. A few hours later, she noticed he seemed intoxicated very quickly. According to the police, attorney Long wanted to leave the club and a manager, Matthew Donovan, told police a club employee had taken Long home. Donovan did not respond to a text message from CBS News Colorado. But the employee said Long was, and I quote, acting crazy and quote, not making sense. So he returned to the club <coughs> where George stayed in his car and was monitored every five to 10 minutes, all right? Here is a photo of Shotgun Willie's hospitality specialist, um, Mr. Donovan, who was checking on attorney Long. Donovan told police that during one of the checks on Long, they noticed he was unconscious and not breathing and called 911 at approximately 11.34 PM. An officer reported that when he arrived in the parking lot, Long was not breathing or moving. Police said they attempted CPR on the attorney, paramedics transported Long to a hospital. He was pronounced dead half hour later. Here is some background on the wrongful death lawsuit that he was defending. 
Let's put it up, 48-year-old Randall Wright, married, father of two, visited Shotgun Willie's May 2nd with several friends when he got into an argument with another customer, okay? Screenshot of the video camera shows Randall allegedly swinging the first punch before a bartender can be seen jumping on Wright and taking him down. The autopsy says Wright died of mechanical restraint asphyxia, history of possible restraint and possible chokehold. The coroner also noted Wright suffered six broken ribs and suffered from heart disease, all right? Uh, let's put up Donald Sisson, all right? Attorney for the Wright family says the bartender stayed on top of Wright for at least a minute and a half and says broken ribs were caused by the employee being on top of Mr. Wright. Meanwhile, since Long's ironic death at the same club he was defending, it's unclear if Shotgun Willies has retained new counsel for trial that <coughs> is set for November. Long's close friend and law partner, Mark Lucart, told CBS News Colorado, it was very ironic that Long died after a night at the same club, according to the obituary. Steve's father, Colonel George Gilmore Long, passed away two days after his son. Steve was deeply loved, will be deeply missed, but never forgotten. This is such an ironic narrative, but all true. All right, David, thoughts here. It's just weird. I mean, first of all, they're gonna have a hard time getting another lawyer to represent Shotgun Willie. So they're not gonna have yep. any problem though, uh, keeping, keeping away the funeral directors given the track record right. of this uh, gentleman's club. Uh, and it's just it's just sad. I mean, clearly maybe the, you know, the, the attorney, maybe he died because of older age and something happened and the younger guy got into a fight. But the fact that, you know, people are dying in and around the premises is, uh, is kind of spooky. And I don't think it's gonna help their business. Yeah, we shall see. If they can retain counsel, the trial is still set for November. Thugs, savages. Let's put up the picture full mass here. What are they fighting over? They're fighting over a parking spot for dropping off and picking up kids. Now, I did not know that there are designated areas for these things, I had no idea. I thought you just kind of rolled up what was available, pulled in, pick up, drop off and you continue. Obviously, in this community of Karens, there's a different protocol. And you can actually call a spot without the spot being yours. Why else would you fight over? You would only fight over something that's yours, right? Okay, uh, Ms. Dahl, can you own a, a drop off spot outside of a school? 
You know, I've done this drop off pickup before. It's stressful. I've never seen anybody fight over it. But a little thing, I um, I went to a USC football game and parking there is like so difficult. And somebody had this entrepreneurship spirit and put um, cones reserving the curb, the public curb and was selling those spots for a That's game. Awesome. So. Yes. I love that. It kind of reminds me of this, but instead of fighting over, he was making money over it. Smart and not harder, you know what I mean? All right, welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today, but what do we do on this show? We tell the truth, you know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here, congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's no, a racist I, 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 policy, I, I, racist I, policy. Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though. We have a lot of show left. Let me read some of these comments and don't forget, add the watch list to your watch list. Big homie Jared Jackson, 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific time. Watch live daily, also subscribe at youtube.com forward slash watch list TYT. All right, make it see the silver hat dragon says, when famous black people like Kanye, <laughs> Candy ass and <laughs> Owens and Herschel Walker give whites permission to publicly spew racist hate. Far too many people take advantage and pretend that if a black person said it's okay, it's now okay for them to do so. The harm that these famous people are doing goes deep. That is such a great parallel to what students do in similar situations. They will find one black student, typically manipulate that black student by saying, "Oh, you know, you're one of us. You're accepted. Yeah, do this, and you know, we got you." But something similar happens, obviously, with celebrities. And you're right. Lynn says, I think Shotgun Willie should probably change his name. <laughs> the management, everybody. Earl Gray, thank you so much, Earl Gray. Winter Scoop, they find one black person to co-sign on their racism? Question mark. Herschel Walker, anyone? Cop, no longer on the force. Why? Because he's homophobic and decided to use homophobic slurs while affecting an arrest. Could not keep it on the inside. That's how bigoted this cop was. Let's put up a picture of the Tampa Police Precinct. An internal affairs investigation found a 22 year veteran cop of the Tampa Police Department used homophobic slurs while arresting a suspect. 
Exterior of the Tampa Police Department is here. During a Wednesday night meeting, Tampa's Police Citizen Review Board revealed that in December 2020, Officer Brian Perry used homophobic language while making an arrest at a Walmart. At the time of the incident, Perry, who had served as a Tampa police officer for 22 years and recently partially retired, but was serving as a part-time reserve officer at a Tampa Walmart. So let me first give you the initial issue. This happened in 2020. The review board did not engage in discipline until now, okay? Why? The gap, because that's how the process works. So you mean to tell me that this cop was free to continue his biased approach against citizens of that local community? Yes, it was, even though it was clear that this person was biased against a particular community. When you hold positions of high public trust, being adversarial, antithetical to an entire group of people because of your own bias is a problem. And don't think his bias just stops there. Typically, individuals who engage in this kind of conduct, it's not linear, it's multifaceted. There are layers to their bias. There's more. Perry was one of several officers who arrested the person who was only named as Mr. Ford during the meeting. Ford was accused of shoplifting from the Walmart. Hill claimed that Ford had resisted arrest and during the struggle is when Perry made several homophobic comments. Perry used a homophobic slur that's commonly referred to as the F word. And that the officer also called the person an F-A-S-S and repeated the slur multiple times during the arrest. Another officer reported Perry's language and he resigned. In January of 2021, in the midst of an IA investigation into the incident. But remember, part-time retired status. Now, here's the thing. Something actually took place here that was appropriate. He was reported by another officer. Good, good. We gotta have more opportunities like that, where cops are actually saying something when bad policing happens in front of them. There's more. CRB members talking about the review board. Those members said they could not confirm if Ford identified as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, and if that was the reason Perry had used that language toward them, they did not confirm that. And it's not necessary to be quite honest with you. IA found that Perry was complicit in discriminatory conduct and found that he also violated rules about professional responsibility and philosophy of the law enforcement agency. Internal affairs sustained these allegations against Perry after the investigation who had already left the department full time. The CRB agreed unanimously that IA's violation found against Perry. TBD provided a statement to the uh, to CL Tampa Bay. It reads, it is understood by every member of this department that they are to treat others with dignity and respect. Those who are unable to comply with this basic expectation have no place working as a public servant. In this case, the sustained violations made by the reserve officer would have resulted in his termination had he not resigned during the investigation. I have a question here. Do you think this was his only time in his 20 plus year history that he did something like this? Highly doubt it. So what changed? I think 
culture is starting to change. No, it's not perfect. No, it is not flawless. But if he would have made that kind of statement, let's say five years ago or 10 years ago, do you think another cop would have reported him? Probably not. But something has changed, even if it's slight, in the culture of policing. Because remember, it was another cop who reported him. And because a cop reported him, it does bear more weight. Like it or hate it, it's a reality. When a cop reports a cop, it does bear significant weight inside of that investigative standard. There's more. Can the review board do anything after the fact? A big question mark. Let me describe, let me explain. The CRB has been criticized for years for not having the power to do anything other than review close TBD internal affairs cases and ask questions about what happened. Along with voting on whether they agree or disagree with the decision in the case. Everything they review is based solely on claims and evidence presented by TPD itself. Specifically, the internal affairs department. So let me dissect some of this. Citizen review boards that do not have the power of subpoena are typically weak. They can substantiate things for the record. They can make recommendations, but it is not mandated. It is not conclusive to the end result. If you have a citizens review board in your local community, good. <clears throat> if they do not have subpoena power, bad. If you do not have a citizen review board at all, that's horrible. And you should advocate to make sure you do have one. They can affect change, but the ones that are the most effective are the ones that have two elements connected to them. One, subpoena power, compelled testimony and evidence. And number two, their decision is final with the exception of an override by all of city council and the mayor. All right, let's put up the chief. This is the person who was in charge during the time of the incident, okay? Brian Dugan is his name. David, thoughts here. I give credit to the department that they're actually taking the right step now, although I think you're right. I think they wouldn't have taken this step years ago. But and progress sometimes is happens very, very slowly. We've done a lot of videos on Rebel HQ about police interactions. We did one not that long ago, actually here in Connecticut, where a police officer was bothered by an auditor and said, while his body camera was rolling, you know what? 20 years ago, I would have knocked out that guy's teeth. I would have killed him. He'd be dead. I would have done it myself. That was mm. the attitude that police has. You smash and you kill people who disrespect you. Well, now they can't even do that on camera without getting suspended. And I think we are seeing progress made, even if it's slower than a lot of us would like. Yeah, we're gonna continue to follow some of the developments of police departments as it relates to how they deal with problematic cops. Because typically when a cop gives you a warning, literally you keeping them on staff, after they have done something that violates your policy or protocol, you are actually now putting at risk not only the community, but also the taxpayer money. Because when they do something that violates the civil rights of another person, you gotta pay. That's how this works. All right. An update. An update to a story we brought you a few weeks ago. Later right here, Pamela Moses, she was locked up for trying to vote. They dropped the charges, overturned 
this insane malicious prosecution. Guess what? She is now suing for malicious prosecution. Let's put a picture up for Mass here. I will remind you of the background. This happened in Memphis, Tennessee. She's an activist who had a six year prison sentence for voter fraud. It was overturned. We reported on this when it happened. After our reporting, many, many advocated for her. She got it overturned. Great, right? Good stuff. Now she's suing the state and the local county officials for damages that she claims came from the wrongful prosecution and incarceration. In January, 44 year old Pamela Moses was sentenced to six damn years in prison after prosecutors said she tried to register to vote. Knowing that she was ineligible because of a prior felony conviction. But she was told by the government that she could actually register to vote. Sounded like a setup from day one. She was convicted even though two government officials, including her probation officer, who conceded, admitted, proclaimed on the record, he made an error. Signed off on a state form that affirmed her eligibility. Now, before I get into the update, I need to really bring home the disaster that took place and how this was a malicious prosecution, a malicious prosecution, not a mistake, not negligence, but intentional and malicious. The statute, the statute in Tennessee that makes it illegal for a person who is convicted of a crime that takes them away from their right to vote, which is insane, but that's a different story. The statute says that it must be willful and intentional. In other words, the person has to form mans rea. They have to know that what they are doing is in fact a criminal violation. They had evidence on the record that proved she was acting in good faith because her own probation officer signed a document and said she was eligible to do this. They decided to disregard that evidence, prosecute her anyway. And they tried to give this woman six years in prison because she was a thorn in their side. There's more. Moses conviction was overturned by a judge in February after the Guardian published documents underscoring the probation department's error. Prosecutors did not turn over the document. An internal email from Tennessee's Department of Correction blaming the probation officer for the error to Moses' defense before her trial. Moses spent 82 days, 82 days in jail before the conviction was overturned. The prosecution caused her mental anguish, emotional distress, stress, anxiety, embarrassment, humiliation, and it was demoralizing. Her lawyers wrote in the complaint filed in federal court last week. Put up the damn DA, heartless, heartless, malicious, and corrupt. This is former Shelby County District Attorney Amy Amy Wirich unknowingly withheld information that would have exonerated Ms. Pamela Moses. Now 
you have crossed the line. You see, if they would have prosecuted the case with all evidence available and presented, this would not be a slam dunk for malicious prosecution. But the fact she decided to hide it, the fact she decided to shield it is what will nail her to this case. Earlier this year, that same DA said the Department of Correction had not provided the document to her office. In February, a department spokesperson said there was a, and I quote, lack of recognition of the scope of the documents that had been requested. The DA, a Republican, lost her reelection bid last month to the new county DA, let's put him up, Steve Mulroy, a Democrat who brought up Moses' case frequently. Talked about it on the campaign trail. It was part of the platform. Tennessee voting laws in regards to people with felonies, let me read it to you. Tennessee has some of the most restrictive voting laws in the United States when it comes to restoring the rights of people with felonies. About 471,592 people in the state and more than 21% of its black voting population cannot vote because of a felony according to an estimate by the Sentencing Project of Criminal Justice Nonprofit. And once again, the statute clearly says just doing the action does not, does not mean you committed a crime. You have to do the action with the intent of breaking the law, meaning you have to know what you're doing is illegal. I'm glad this was overturned and I'm also happy that she filed the proper lawsuit because this is malicious prosecution. All right, David, thoughts? It's good to hear that the DA lost her reelection bid. I think it needs to go a step further though. I think she needs to be disbarred because she yeah. violated the courtroom rules. She's supposed to be an officer of the court and she violated that. And the other thing that comes to mind is just this week, I want you to hear two names, Jacob Wool and Jack Berkman. Mm -hmm. They are two Republican strategists, operatives who were just charged for making robocalls, deliberately misleading people about polling locations, engaging in election fraud. If convicted, they face up to a year. Now, I would argue maybe it should be more, but the problem is we need to have equal justice. If in fact, you're gonna charge anybody yep. with voting fraud, and that person is gonna get six years possibly, and yet you've got these people who are trying to defraud thousands of people, and you're gonna maximize them at maybe a year. That is a system that is unfair, that is clearly racist, and that is clearly not equal justice, and it has to be fixed. So well said, David, and I've maintained this from day one. All of these public arrest of black people in Florida for um, registering to vote when they were told they could by the people that registered them. Um, the case in Tennessee and the extreme sentencing of six years in prison for just registering to vote. It is meant to scare black people in particular from engaging in this civic responsibility. That's what it's meant to do. It's a psychological dynamic. We got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay. Welcome back, we have a lot of show left. Okay, let me read a few of these comments. Travis Dragon says, I bet he had more slurs in his vocabulary. And I'm sure he said it on the record too. Just said it in front of the right cop that day. Lynn 
says, 22 year veteran of the force. His bias has played out more than this one time, agreed. Which is scoop. So they are saying there aren't any body camera videos of the homophobic arrest. Got you. That's what they're saying, kind of. The blue magician, cops should hold cops accountable without fear of being isolated within the department. That's right. And the fact that they have the fear shows the culture that actually permeates. If there are genuinely just so many good cops, it's just way more good cops than bad cops. I think you need to update your definition of good. Because if you have good cops, that doesn't mean you have neutral cops. That doesn't mean you have passive cops. It means you got good cops. A good cop is going to do what? A good cop is going to do right. A good cop is going to be vocal about bad cops, not be silent. And if you consider yourself, because we have a lot of cops that watch this show. If you consider yourself to be a good cop and you say nothing, When you see bad policing, you say nothing when you see a citizen being violated by another cop, you're not as good as you think you are, not at all. Why does evil permeate? Why does it exist? Because good people sit back and do nothing, that's the reason. All right, um, let's go to Soul Life. She effed around, now she finds out, talking about the DA. Who decided to engage in criminal conduct? And I agree with David. She has to be disbarred for this kind of malicious and willful conduct against a human being. You got to remember, prosecutors, they do not take an oath to prosecute. They don't swear to an oath to prosecute, they swear to an oath to uphold justice. That's what they swear to. That is their affirmation, that is their charge to uphold justice. But we have allowed the culture of our DA system or state's attorney system to devolve into a system that says, we just care about convictions, we care about prosecutions. And this is how prosecutors are judged in most jurisdictions in the country. They're judged by how many actual convictions they get per year. Mr. Pickle says, so shocked that DA was a Republican, not really. Right. All right. Once again, back at it. Black people being targeted by the DEA. Now you have a black award winning veteran film director racially profiled while at the Atlanta airport. Let's go to the video. Let's put up the picture of the film director. Remember, we reported on something very similar happening to uh, two celebrities, comedians. They said, listen, we were racially profiled as well in a similar way. The man's name, Tabari Sturdivant, who was traveling to LA from Atlanta's Hartsville Jackson International Airport, had his bags completely searched by DEA agents who provided zero explanation as to why. This film director would provide background on the incident with a statement on Instagram and it says, and I quote, I was involved in an incident Friday, October 21st at the Hartsfield Jackson Airport. 
I'm not sure if you are aware of a government police agency stopping Eric Andre and other black men on the jet as they are boarding their flights. He was recently, he has recently been in the media talking about it and was even on CNN because he felt racially profiled. Friday morning, right as I was boarding a flight to LA, two DEA agents approached me. They asked for my ID, began to question me and proceeded to search me and my bags right in front of everyone. Mind you, I am the only black person in the area. Now, let me pause here. The comedians said the exact same thing. They said the exact same thing. They were the only black person in the area at that time, all right? So once again, it seems to be a pattern of behavior. He says, mind you, I am the only black person in the area. I was, it was a humiliating experience. People took their phones out and started filming. They took everything out of my bag in front of everyone, no privacy. I was totally shocked and embarrassed. After finding no illegal contraband in my bag, they seemed disappointed and let me go. As soon as I stepped on the plane, all the passengers began to ask me questions. Again, I'm embarrassed. When I exited the plane in LA, again, more passengers questioned me about the incident. While I was on the elevator about to exit LAX, a passenger of the plane approached me and informed me he had filmed the incident and sent it to me. He had already posted it to social media. My plane was full with approximately 200 people. As we exited the plane, I counted a handful of black people. I was minding my business with a black hoodie and headphones on. I was standing in the middle of white of white 20 passengers, 20 white passengers, and they singled me out and humiliated me. I was definitely racially profiled. Once again, reminder, let's put them up. Eric Andre, remember? Eric Andre and fellow comedian Clayton English, they both filed a lawsuit. We covered it right here, the day it happened. The lawsuit claims they were racially profiled by the police. Where? Hartsfield Jackson International Airport, same location on separate occasions. It happened to both of them. Here's something else we uncovered when we looked into it even deeper. The Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson International Airport is actually not in Atlanta. It's in a place called Clayton County. It is annexed in Clayton County to operate as the city of Atlanta. I'm bringing that to your attention because the law enforcement entities that exist inside of that airport include APD and Clayton County Police. According to the initial lawsuit, it was actually Clayton County Police where the airport technically resides in that county. They have this program with the DEA. It is supposed to be a random program. What we were able to uncover in the first initial reporting was that while they typically do not find any illegal drugs at all. And every now and then they find a person with maybe some prescription pills without a script. That's about it. They do take your money, they take all of it. And you have to go through a bureaucratic process to get your money back, which means many people do not and they get to keep that money. So at the end of the saga, you typically are allowed to get on the plane according to the initial reporting. But you don't get to keep your cash if they find it, isn't that something? David, thoughts here?
this isn't just racial profiling. This is deliberate harassment. This is thuggery. This is stealing from people. And you know, Atlanta Hartsfield Airport, one of the busiest, one of the biggest in the world. They should know better. There should be a better system in place so that okay, if you are going to do something random, one out of every 500 passengers is going to be plucked out of line. Okay, but make sure it's not based on race, not based yep. on gender. You pluck one out of every 500, whether it's an old person, whether it's a young person, and then you take them to a private room and afford them some privacy and some dignity and respect. And if you find drugs, so be it. But if you don't, you don't humiliate that person. You don't send them in front of other passengers where they're gonna face a litany of questions that they shouldn't have to answer. And I know people realize this because so many of us do actually travel on planes. But by the time you get to that place, by the time you're there in, in that area where you're getting on the plane, you've already been searched. You've been x-rayed, you've been wanded. You've gone through these security measures, you've gone through these security checks. Your baggage has been x-rayed, your body has been x-rayed. To think that this is the place where now you have to randomly search individuals. Randomly, I'm using loosely, search individuals right before they board a plane is insane to me. It is a bad program based on their own data. Their data says they basically do not find any illegal narcotics on people, even though they say this is for a narcotics search. They rarely ever find it, period. But once again, they do keep that money in many cases. All right, David, always a pleasure, dear brother, having you on the show. Tell people how they can follow you. Check out your great work. Let us know, man, are you going to attend some Trump rallies in the future? Because <laughs> damn, those I videos so. give me life, one man. Coming up, uh, I think there's one coming up right after the election in which we'll ask people about how they felt about what the results were, whether they buy them or not. And if not, why not? But uh, all of the work can be found on Rebel HQ, uh, both on Facebook, also on YouTube. You can also get me on Twitter at David Schuster. But these videos, Rebel HQ, we even take some indisputable videos and we put them up there so people who miss the show can see them there. And Dr. Ritchie, always a pleasure being on with you. It's always a pleasure having you. I gotta ask you this question before I let you go. Um, when you're at these particular pro-Trump events and pro-Trump rallies, has there ever been a time where you felt as if, you know, maybe I'm unsafe now? I know you try to make people feel very comfortable, uh, so they can actually talk to you. But have you ever felt unsafe? Yeah, there've been a couple of times where people will shout out, "Hey, it's David Schuster," and and people sort of get up. And then there was one time where a group of Proud Boys came up and they started blasting their stereo from their car so that we couldn't do the interviews. And to me, the message was pretty clear: like, we don't want you here. I haven't had anybody physically accost me. I've had people say, you know, those questions you're asking, those are not fair questions. Who are you with? And there's that kind of attitude. For the most part, though, people are polite. But you know what? And every sort of crowd, I think, particularly on the right these days, where people are so revved up. There are some people who seem to want to get violent and are looking for an excuse, and we just try to smile and not give them one. I want to come with you one day, and I wish you Karen would. I want to come <laughs> with you, dear brother. I want to come with you. I want to be with you and ask. You have an some open questions. invitation anytime. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure. Okay. All right. Don't forget, unbossed. Nina Turner is next. Remember, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.